Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to get to talk about my favorite thing in the whole world, cheap flights. Love it. Um, so I've seen the recent deals from you in my inbox and the prices being offered right now uh, for later this year are unprecedented. But we also have no idea how long this pandemic will last, what companies will go bankrupt, how industry or government policies will change, or really any of the other disruptions that may occur. And obviously, you know, no one should travel until it's safe to do so. But as we think about booking future trips for 2021 or even late 2020, should, should we take advantage of these amazing deals now and buy tickets far in advance or, or hold off longer to see how things unfold? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like the very first thing is to reiterate right now is not safe to travel. And that's why we as a company decided we're not going to be sending deals, you know, for the next month or two. I mean, we never focused on last minute deals anyway, but now especially uh, even more so focusing on deals further out because there's so much uncertainty right now about when it will be safe to travel that the further out you plan, the more likely, hopefully knock on wood, it will be safe to travel again. So the two criteria that we kind of uh, uh, have added to the deals that we are focused on. And, you know, I know for myself, if I'm thinking about booking travel right now, first deals well into the future, you know, at least three to four months down the line, because hopefully, you know, maybe by then things will be uh, safer to travel. Uh, if not, the, that's, this gets me to the second criteria, only booking on airlines that are offering to waive the normal change fees, because that way you have the flexibility that if it's not safe to travel come trip time, you can change your plans. You can get out of, you're not locked in with the normal sort of two, three, $400 change fees that airlines typically assess. So, you know, it, it, to the extent that uh, I, I know for a lot of folks, Travel is an escape. It's a way to kind of uh, uh, to daydream, to get out of the day-to-day -day drudgery, especially while so many of us are kind of stuck at home, hanging out at home, doing our part to you know help beat this virus. But we still want to have things to look forward to later on. And for many of us, that's travel and having one, a trip well down the line to look forward to is a real kind of way for a lot of people to uh, uh, to help get us through this. And so if uh, you're one of those folks, and 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 if you're looking to take advantage of those deals, those are the two things that I know for me I would really kind of stress is is well into the future, and then ones that have that flexibility, so you can kind of change things if it's still not good to travel come trip time. Yeah, no, that and I I completely agree with what you're saying. Like right now, uh, we have an opportunity to slow down and reset, and you know the trip planning process is an extension of the trip itself. So, you know, one of the things that I've been really trying to encourage our community in doing is that, you know, the tendency is going to want to be like make up for all the missed time and go to as many places as you can. Uh, but I think slowing down and saying, you know what, let's, let's plan a trip for far out in advance and let's read books about it. Let's watch movies about it. Let's start learning a little bit of the language. Like really slowing down, I think, can make that trip so much more meaningful. Well, not only that, but I think, you know, it's funny if you go back and look at some of the research that has been done on uh, uh, the way that people tend to enjoy trips, you, find, you see a funny pattern where people think that we're going to enjoy ourselves the most when we're actually on vacation. But turns out, if you look at the research, people tend to get the, mo the most enjoyment in the weeks and months leading up to a trip. And so if you plan a trip six, eight months in advance in the hopes that things will be uh, uh, you know, safe to travel come then, 
not only are you hopefully locking in some, some cheap flights and having the ability to change it, but you're also giving yourself a lot of anticipatory joy for all those months leading up to it that you can watch movies based, you know, set in the place. You can read books about it. You can kind of daydream and think about all the fun you're going to have on that beach in Egypt or that, you know, rainforest in Costa Rica when it is safe to travel. Yeah, totally. I mean, fantasizing about a trip, uh, you're the perfect person. It's the it's the trip itself where things actually uh, tend to go wrong and it doesn't live <laughs> up to the expectation. Um, so uh, to double tap into that, what kind of deals are you typically seeing right now? So like if you if you were booking flights and you had ultimate flexibility and you're looking at early 2021, like what what are some of the high level takeaways that you could expect and, and how much it would cost? Yeah, great question. So there are two types of deals one of which we have been seeing for a long time, for years, and one that I think is new as a result of coronavirus. The first are these sort of general, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill cheap flights, but you know, these sort of $300 round-trip flights to Paris in October or November. Those are amazing fares, don't get me wrong, but those have been around for, for months, for years. We've been sending those to members, uh, uh, you know, Canyon mentioned the $300 round trip flight he got to Athens. That wasn't as a result of coronavirus, that was, that was years ago. And so those, while those have been around, there is a new class of cheap flights that has been popping up, I think as a result of all the flux in the airline industry. And that is both mistake fares and really cheap flights during peak travel periods. So uh, mistake fares, you know, we've seen flights as cheap as, 210 bucks nonstop round trip from the US down to Santiago in Chile, or 200 and gosh, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. I think it was 290 bucks round trip nonstop from New York to Brazil. Like fares that frankly are usually five, six, seven times that much. But as a result of the airlines doing such heavy surgery to their schedules, they're seeing more and more mistakes like this. We saw one the other day, Boston to Puerto Rico, including Christmas and New Year's for $23 round trip. Like I'm saying, wow. I get dinner for $23 a lot of times, much less a nonstop round trip flight to Puerto Rico. Uh, so A, seeing those mistake fares pop up has been really exciting. But then B, seeing a lot of cheap flights pop up in some of the most popular travel uh, uh, times to travel during the year. So not only peak summer, you know, July, August, but also around kind of Christmas and New Year's when it tends to be one of the most expensive times of year to fly. We've been seeing some of the cheap flights that you normally might only see in October or November. We've been seeing those in the middle of summer and around the kind of Christmas uh, 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 winter holidays. And that is a really unique situation. You don't typically see those because they're in such high demand, you know, for folks who are in school, who have kids in school, who are maybe teachers or, or, or work in education, they can only travel during these times. And when you have that uptick in demand, you're just not going to, you're not going to see the normal sorts of cheap flights that we all know and love. So if you're somebody who is especially schedule constrained or just really likes to be able to travel during those peak times, now is a, 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 a uh, unusual opportunity in seeing the types of cheap fares for those peak periods that we haven't often seen before. I want to get into some mistake fare uh, conversation later on in the call. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you also probably have to factor in that there's a lot of airline workers who are trying to do their job with screaming kids all around them who are probably just fat fingering, uh, you know, uh, or missing a zero <laughs> when they're submitting the, the, the price into the system. Um, but so a lot of travelers in our community still have upcoming flights that they have, that they booked a while ago and that 
should certainly be canceled, but a lot of air, the airlines haven't canceled the flights yet. So if you have an upcoming flight, when and how do you recommend canceling to put yourself in the best position to get a refund? Yes. Great question. And this is something on a lot of folks' mind right now. Two top level things to, to bear in mind. If you voluntarily cancel your ticket on a flight that is still on the schedule, then the airline is going to give you a voucher. Um, one of the benefits right now is that they're not taking out the normal two, three, four hundred dollars uh, in fees from that voucher. You get the full value of your ticket, but you're going to get a voucher, not a cash refund. If the airline cancels your ticket, then you're owed a cash refund. And this is this isn't Scott mouthing off. This is literally federal law, and so that's why because for most folks. Presumably you'd prefer cash than a voucher because it's like to say you can't go down to the grocery store and pay for your food with an American Airlines gift card. You got to need, you got to pay with that with straight, straight cash, homie. Why that I recommend then is what I recommend to do then is to hold off as long as possible and not cancel your flight voluntarily because when you cancel voluntarily, you're going to get that voucher. But if you wait as long as possible, even up to, you know, 48 or 24 hours before, before your flight, that's giving the airline time to hopefully end up canceling your trip and then giving you, you know, the cash refund that you're owed. The airlines have been doing major surgery on their schedules. They've been canceling flights left and right, and it's not finished. You know, they're not, it's not like, oh, they've already taken all the schedule, all the flights that they're going to off the schedule. And so if your flight is still scheduled to operate your SOL, Basically, you should keep waiting because they're still cutting flights. They're still kind of going month to month, changing their, their schedules. And so it, it, it pays off to wait as long as possible. You don't lose anything if you voluntarily cancel. You know, it's all the same if you cancel today versus a day before your flight. But by waiting, you give them an opportunity to hopefully cancel on their own, and then you get the cash refund. Great. And any tips on making sure you actually get it? So- I was supposed to be in Portugal, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks and I waited, I at least was smart enough to wait right until like 48 hours and they canceled the flight. And I had booked this on points with Chase. So I had called uh, both the airlines and Chase and both of their systems were overloaded. So I couldn't get in. And finally, after trying a bunch of times, I got on to, uh, I got to talk to both of them. Both of them were obviously saying that you got to get your refund through the other person. Uh, and, uh, and, and both of them require, you know, I was on hold for, you know, an hour. And so at the end of that, they, they were saying, and, and I knew the regulations because like, you know, this isn't my first time arguing with airlines. And I knew the regulation that um, I was entitled for uh, a refund and especially, you know, U.S. and Europe. Um, and this was applying to, this was to both of them. Um, and they kept, they kept just saying, well, we're only doing vouchers at the moment. You know, this, these are crazy times. And so I knew that I could, you know, dispute it on my credit card. I could write a letter. I could do all these things. But I was afraid that given how much was going on, I would just end up losing, get, getting lost in the shuffle. So I just accepted the voucher just purely out of not wanting to be on hold for another hour or potentially get stuck with nothing. So like if, if you were about to go on a flight and they canceled it and they're just giving you the whole line about taking a voucher, what specific steps would you take to make sure you actually uh, got a refund and, and it was expedited? Yeah, uh, I'll give you three options. But first off, man, what a, like, A, what a shame 
that so many airlines and, and online travel agencies are treating people this way. And B, you know, like, I know for, for you, it probably felt like, oh, maybe you're, you know, gosh, you're just in this by yourself or for other folks feel like I'm, I'm just here trying to get my refund, feel alone doing this. I can't tell you how many hundreds, thousands of people are in the same boat as you. And so it's been actually comforting seeing how many people have been uh, uh, trying to fight this and then seeing it have an effect because what happened was hundreds, you know, thousands of people were uh, being denied the refunds that they were legally owed and they went and complained to the Department of Transportation, you know, the federal regulatory body. And a couple Fridays, about two weeks ago, the Department of Transportation literally, you know, because they, they know like we're getting hundreds, thousands of complaints from people, they had to put out a, a guidance to the airlines to reminding them politely, but very kind of tongue in cheek that they can't just keep the air passengers money just because they really need it. Like if they cancel a passenger's flight, they have to give them a refund. They, you know, talk, do all the window dressing you want, say, oh, you know, it's coronavirus's fault. Oh, this and that. Like, we didn't make coronavirus. It's not the passenger's fault either. And if anything, like passenger, gosh, we all need the cash right now too. You know, so many people are having, are, are, are losing their jobs or having their hours cut or, you know, trying to make rent, trying to put food on the table. They can't do that with an airline gift card. And so seeing the airlines uh, 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 playing this really cynical game, obviously really kind of grinds my gears. Um, and, and if you find yourself in a similar situation where an airline is stonewalling you on a refund uh, and, and you, know, you know that you're legally owed it, but they're trying to give you some bluster about this or that, uh, three things that I recommend. First step is a very simple one, hang up, call again. The reason why I recommend that is that the airlines will have their sort of top-down uh, uh, recommendation for all their agents, but they give agents a certain amount of discretion to be able to, uh, you know, give refunds in certain cases to, uh, you know, if they meet certain criteria or whatnot. And it's not something that is really kind of spelled out in black and white always. It can be really flexible, much in the same way that, you know, as any, any good three or four-year-old will know, if you, if you get the answer you don't like from mom, go try with dad. Maybe he'll say yes. You should try the same approach with the airline agents because oftentimes you'll call the first, you know, I've had it many times for myself where I'll call the first one, I'll get denied. I'll call the second one, I'll get denied. I'll call a third time and they'll say yes. And that is, that is, I can't tell you how often that, that happens. Like, look, I'm not going to try 10 times in a row because I've got better things to do. But three times, I think, is a reasonable amount to, to, to give a try and see if they're able to process the refund for you. If that doesn't work, filing a complaint with the Department of Transportation, it might feel like, oh, you're just kind of howling into the wind. But as I mentioned, you know, we've seen this actually have an impact where they had to put out guidance reminding the airlines to quit behaving so poorly. And as a result, a lot of people were getting new refunds processed that hadn't been before. You know, places like United and JetBlue really kind of cleaned up their act after the Department of Transportation put out this guidance when they had been behaving much poorly beforehand. And then the last thing to always remember you have at your disposal is a credit card dispute. When you sign up for a credit card and you have that relationship with a bank, uh, 
as part of the kind of terms and agreements when you open up a credit card, they are guaranteeing to you that when you pay for something with that credit card, you're guaranteed to receive what you paid for. And if you don't receive what you paid for, you can file a dispute. And what happens when you file a dispute is that the, air, the, the credit card will typically just reimburse you the money, they'll make you whole, and then they go and work with the merchant to try to get the money back for themselves that they were owed. So you're making it the bank's problem, not your problem. Now, you know, you don't want to, this isn't like a, a, a free lunch. You don't want to be using this willy-nilly. I like to leave it as my last resort rather than first because there's a certain amount of paperwork and stuff. But, you know, look, if an airline, had, if you paid $500 to an airline for a flight that they have canceled and telling you we're only going to give you a voucher in return, you know that's not good enough. I, you know, knowing that that's there and, and, and uh, you know, sometimes using that as a, uh, you don't want to be mean, not a, not a, not a, not a threat, but, you know, kind of play around, you know, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to dispute this charge if you're not going to process a refund. Uh, knowing that that's there can be very, very, very helpful and will oftentimes, you know, lead you to getting the money back that you're, that you're owed. You're not required to be paying money for a flight that didn't end up taking off and that you weren't on. Great advice. And so people will travel again, hopefully soon, but at some point, uh, but there will be some very systemic changes, especially to the airline industry. And, you know, for example, one of the things that I think is going to happen is business travel is going to get crushed, especially over the short and medium term. One is for the first time ever, a lot of companies are realizing that Zoom is actually quite effective. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they're realizing that a lot of these in-person meetings are just not going to be that essential. And when you think about the time and costs associated, you know, it, it would be more productive to just hop onto Zoom. Um, and then, uh, and then second, you know, with, uh, with the, the hit to the economy, a lot of corporate budgets are getting slashed and travel is one of the first things to go. So business travel will be down significantly. Um, and so therefore, which, you know, airlines have made most of their profits historically from the business traveler. And now the leisure traveler is going to make up a much bigger portion of their profit. So how, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have uh, on pricing on the next six months, 12 months, two years, you know, and what other changes do you think will happen with the airline industry from, uh, from the situation? Yeah, it's an awesome question. I love kind of thinking through the machinations of this. So the first thing that I would think about is, is I think in my mind, uh, um, it's still a bit of an open question on what the impact on business travel will be. Uh, I think it's certainly true that, you know, everybody is doing business right now via teleconference, very little business is happening in person. But I think it's a little bit still of an open question on whether or not this is sort of a, an eye-opening experience for businesses where they decide, oh, this is superior than the old version. I, I, I could see a future where a bunch of businesses decide that kind of sucked. Let's get back to meeting in person like we had before. Now, you know, obviously you need a certain amount of budget to your point. And a lot of question is where does the default lie right now? The default is a $0 travel budget. And so, you know, something proactive needs to happen to start to shift that back to people getting, you know, corporate corporations sending their folks on the road again. But I don't know when exactly that's going to happen. And I wouldn't necessarily take it for granted that there's going to be a kind of like, lower baseline than there had been, let's say a year ago. Um, but to, let's stipulate that, there, that there might, it might take a while to get back there. And you make a great point that uh, I think it's surprising for a lot of folks when they find out that 
if you look at the financials of a company of an airline like Delta, they make the majority of their money off of things besides economy fares. Like most of their money that they make is from other things, for everything from uh, you know premium seats from business class and first class and even premium economy from selling miles to banks from uh, you know uh, uh, ownership stakes in other airlines and whatnot. And so as a result, this is one of the reasons why you've seen cheap flights so uh, so pervasive in the last four or five years because there's been uh, uh, so much cash coming in from other parts of business that it's essentially subsidized economy flyers. You know, it's like this plane is going to fly anyway because they have high paying people up front because they've got corporate contracts because they're flying cargo underneath and because they have all these miles that they need to be flying planes for. So they might as well just kind of fill up the back of the plane as much as possible. Almost like, you know, you've got a, a car that's driving home from college and you might as well take in your, your buddy. He'll chip in a little bit for gas, but you're, you're, you know, it's not the same as sort of like paying uh, uh, an exorbitant price for that. Where, that I, where I think the industry might be heading after, let's say in a post-coronavirus age, and you know, obviously with the caveat that so much is going to depend on how long this lasts, what the overall economic impact is, uh, 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 and, and, and uh, kind of when life starts to return back to normal. I am cautiously optimistic about the impact that it'll have on airfares writ large for a few reasons. One, we have been living in the golden age of cheap flights for basically half a decade now. It has never been cheaper to travel internationally as it is today. And that was true, like I said, you know, months ago, even a year or two ago. Uh, uh, not just because of coronavirus, and there are a lot of factors that are uh, uh, causing that everything from, you know, all the money coming in elsewhere to competition between different airlines to more fuel efficient planes, a lot of reasons why it's been so cheap to fly lately. But um, B, other factors that are going to kind of continue to see that uh, 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 those cheap flights persist is uh, the second most expensive thing on airlines uh, and balance sheets after paying their people, after paying the pilots and, and, and folks in corporate and uh, flight attendants and everything is jet fuel. And I don't know if folks looked at the oil markets today. Uh, fun fact, they literally, it literally gets so cheap that the oil manufacturers have to pay people now to take the money, to take the oil from them. Like the cost of a barrel of oil shipped in May drop down to as low as negative $40, as in they will give you the barrel of oil and $40 just to take it off their hands. Unprecedented stuff. Like we have not, rewind 10 years ago, the cost of a price of oil, a barrel of oil was about $150. And so with it being such a big expense and it dropping so low right now that those savings do get passed on to consumers. Last thing is the fact that, uh, Initially, when coronavirus first uh, you know, became a pandemic, a lot of people thought this is going to be some kind of a V-shaped uh, 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 kind of economic picture or travel picture where travel really kind of tails off quickly, but then rebounds quickly. I think it's pretty clear that's not going to happen, that it's going to be, you know, if we're lucky, more of a, a uh, Nike swoosh face, uh, shaped recovery where it dropped off quickly and then slowly starts to creep back up. And when, you know, a few months ago, we had 85, 90% of the planes would be full. Now we're seeing 5% of planes, you know, uh, 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 the seats in a plane being full. We have seen 
videos and pictures of some planes with literally one person on board. And so what is the main way that once the general public starts to feel that it's safe to travel again and that, you know, we're kind of get the all clear sign, what's the main way the airlines fill up the planes? They cut the fares. They slash the fares. They know that this is the biggest enticement for people, that that is the number one factor that people are basing their purchasing decisions on. And so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, uh, cheap flights as a result while the airlines are trying to start to entice people back into the air. But it remains a little bit of an open question to your point on to what extent business travel will rebound, which is helping subsidize leisure travelers, and to what extent there'll be kind of either consolidation within the airline industry or airlines, frankly, just going out of business. And that's a big hurt. Not because like, you know, I don't have, I'm not like heartbroken about any one given airline aside from the human cost of, of all the folks who worked at an airline. But the fact is that one of the biggest drivers of cheap flights is competition between airlines. One of the biggest reasons where we see $300 round trip flights to Europe now is the fact that an airline called Norwegian about five years ago started flying a budget airline between the US and Europe. And that just hadn't happened before. And what were they charging? Like 200 bucks. Like they were driving down the fares industry wide because United and Delta and American realized we got to compete with them and if they're charging 200 bucks and we're charging 800 bucks, nobody's going to buy our tickets. They're going to buy those $200 flights. So the budget airlines really kind of drove the fares down industry-wide. Will the budget airlines still be around once this is all over? And will they still be flying those sort of long-haul uh, intercontinental flights after this is over? That remains to be seen. And if they don't, will we still be seeing the cheap flights? I think we will for a while, but in the long run, it'll be, it, it, it's a little bit of an open question. So those are the factors I'm watching. Cautiously optimistic about the future of cheap flights, but uh, man, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild bumpy ride. Yeah, that is, that is really great perspective. Yeah. I think you and I were both uh, interviewed in the same Washington post article last yeah. week. And that was one of the things that I was saying is like, there's not going to be even if we get a vaccine, which we won't in you know the short term, but there won't be just a binary moment where everyone feels safe to travel. Uh, travelers are obviously all on a spectrum of how you know cavalier or conservative they're going to be when it comes to being feeling comfortable to travel. So obviously, you know, thankfully most people are realizing now is not a good time to travel. But you know, in a few months, there's, there's going to be a small percentage that think so, and then a few mm -hmm. months after that, it's going to continue uh, to increase. So. Great. Let's transition to some less coronavirus focused topics. So, uh, and want to get into some general, just, you know, after this world, let's think about how we can really optimize our travel experience and, and get great deals. And so flying is obviously the most expensive part of a trip for most trips, you know, getting across the ocean, especially if it's an international trip. And there are a lot of myths out there about what to book, how far in advance, which companies you should do the bookings with, how to make sure you're getting the best deal. And you've done a lot to demystify this and, and that is very appreciated. So like, what advice do you have to people listening? Just like, if you're looking to book flights and get the best possible deal, what should you do? Yeah, the way that I like to kind of start out this conversation of how to find uh, the cheapest flights is to take a step back and think about it from a high sort of high level strategic thing. Like oftentimes the discussion about cheap flights will really kind of start really on a low ball factor. Oh, is there some special promo code? There's some special, you know, online travel agency that's always cheapest or something like that. 
And I think that's mostly petty shit. Like, I don't think that ends up actually saving money for most folks, or it's not a reliable way to save money. The way that I think mo- uh, I would recommend instead, start from a high level. And what I mean by that is think about the way that most people plan flights. If you're like most people, your trip planning process is a three-step uh, endeavor. Step one, you decide where you want to go. Step two, you decide when do you want to go there. And only on step three do you look at, well, what do the flights cost? And by putting flights and by putting airfare as the third order concern, it's not terribly surprising that you end up with a pretty expensive flight most of the time. You know, you're putting it at the lowest on the pecking order, and so you end up with some expensive flights. What I recommend is take that same three-step process and flip it on its head. Step one, see, where are the cheapest flights out of your home airport? You know, let's say you live in uh, uh, Portland, like I do, and you know, oh man, you know, I've gotten a couple alerts today from flights from Portland to Hawaii for 280 bucks, flights over to Japan for 450 or flights down to Argentina for 500 bucks. And you think, oh, okay. Of the, and then step two, of those three places that are really cheap, which one interests you the most? Well, you know, I just recently went to Hawaii, just went to Argentina, Japan. That sounds awesome. Yes, you know, 450 bucks, amazing price, Japan. Step three, is there a time when those $450 flights to Japan are available that work for your schedule? You know, when would you like to go? Oh yeah, there's a week in October, you know, where there's some cool festival happening there that I can take the time off from work and I, and I can pay 450 bucks to get there. By setting price as the top priority rather than the last priority, you end up getting some really cheap flights and going places that you're really cool with. You know, th- people think of it as sometimes they'll hear us and think, oh, you know, I have to be uh, uh, flexible in a- a- as though it's like a horrible thing. Like, oh, you can only go places that you wouldn't want to go. Um, most of the best deals that I've ever gotten in my life. Okay. Let me, let me name probably the top four deals I've ever got in my life. 169 bucks round trip to Japan. These are all leaving from the US. 130 bucks round trip to Milan, 225 bucks round trip to Brussels, and 220 bucks round trip to Barcelona. All four of those trips were not trips that I had planned out. They weren't trips that I had been like like trying to make happen for, for weeks, for months. They were trips that I woke up that morning, saw this flight, and said, wow, that's a really good price. Do I want to go there? And is there a time that works for me? I think most people tend to be like me where you have a list of places that you would gladly go all around the world. You know, that, that you, there's not only one place that we would be interested in going to. Our lists would be super, super long. Just imagine all flights cost 200 bucks, no matter where you fly, where would you go? Like, gosh, you know, there's so many places around the world. And yet so many of us travel plan, we make our plans as though, you know, we get this, we put our blinders on. It's like we're playing whack-a-mole, but we only focus on one of the little holes, one of the more, we're just waiting for that one to come up, not realizing they're popping up all around us. They're coming up everywhere. And we're just focused on this one little kind of narrow spot. We're going to folks take those blinders off, be aware of what's happening all around you, and then decide, yeah, is that a place that I want to go or not? Because that way you can not only save money by getting the cheap flights, you, end, you know, if you have a thousand dollar travel budget, if you're kind of a normal person who doesn't have a, a shit ton of money, you're constrained by the amount that you can uh, um, 
you know, how much you can travel by based on your budget. Having a thousand bucks, you could spend that on one flight or you could spend that on three flights. And being able to take three trips has some incredible knock-on effects. Like if you can prioritize cheap flights and you start going all these different places rather than one trip, not only do you get to take more trips, you don't have as long to wait in between trips. You don't have that kind of post-trip depression. You're like, oh man, it's going to be 51 weeks until I can get on the road again. You get to visit places further down the list. If you're only going somewhere once a year, you kind of got to play to the big hits, right? You got to, you know, you go to Paris, London, Sydney, Tokyo. I mean, they're great places. Don't get me wrong, but some of my favorite places I've ever been have been places that have been, you know, Trinidad and Tobago, like Lithuania, uh, places that were much kind of a little bit off the tourist beaten path, but were some real hidden gems that I wouldn't have gotten to visit if I'd only taken one trip a year, because then it's really risky to take it on, on, on somewhere that you're not kind of as confident in that's going to be awesome. And so by, by like what I really recommend from a high level, prioritize cheap flights. That is the best way to, to, to strategize because that will lead you to more trips, to better trips and to be able to save money along the way. That's brilliant. It's such simple advice, uh, but makes such a big difference. So one, one thing we got, it was really interesting. Like when Andy and I launched Trip Scout, we did something that was pretty nuts. We ended up giving our personal cell phone number to every single person who signed up for the app. So 250,000 of our first users had our personal cell phone and not some, you know, fake Google voice number. It was directly to my cell phone. Wow. And, you know, that made, and we told them, anytime you're going on a trip, anytime you're thinking about a trip, planning a trip, coming back from a trip, just text us, call us. We're here to be helpful. And, well, that might have made you know both of us pretty annoying to live with for for our wives. It gave us incredible insight into the psychology and the behavior of the modern traveler, and shaped you know everything we did going forward about how we built the app that we ended up building. And one really big aha that sh- that shaped our perspective was that we realized that if you love travel, you may only travel a few weeks out of the year, but you think about travel every single day. And there was no, you know, digital home for you like that there. You just kind of had to either proactively Google stuff or see a beautiful photo on your Instagram feed. But unlike all of your other interests and communities, you know, the industry was just so focused on being hyper transactional to get you to book a hotel or a flight when you're ready to, to do that. And one of the things that we heard over and over and over again were how many people that we talked to mentioned you as the daily source of wanderlust that they had, that they would just open your email almost every time. And it's almost unheard of that you'd hear so many (laughs) newsletters with such open rates, but they would, they had no interest in, uh, or many of them haven't even booked one of your flights. Maybe they booked one once, but they didn't even look at it from the practical benefit of getting a cheap flight. They just looked at it to say, huh, where could I go and how much would it cost? And, uh, and I thought that was really, uh, a really fascinating insight. And so when, when our community heard that, you know, we were, that, that you and I were going to be talking, one of the biggest things that uh, came up was just people were just fascinated to like 
peek under the hood. They're like, how does this possibly work? Do you have a, a team of people just constantly hitting refresh on Google flights? Or do you have, have you built crawlers to crawl, uh, you know, all over the internet to find these deals? Uh, you know, people are just curious, like for obviously what you can tell, what you can say publicly, like just, I would love to know a little bit about the operations of how you're able to find such amazing deals. Yes, yeah, it's funny. I often get asked, uh, what's the secret sauce? How do, you, how do you find so many deals? And the way, they're often surprised that I'm so willing to, to uh, uh, be forthcoming with it. The secret sauce to finding cheap flights is spending 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day looking for them. That's it. Like you're just constantly on there, constantly searching. And you develop a skill set of, of seeing patterns, of knowing where to look. Oh, you know, there's this really cheap flight to Bangkok, but it's on ANA. And oh, if you, you know, knowing that ANA often does free stopovers or, or really cheap stopovers in Tokyo. So you can turn into a nice two in one where you fly to Tokyo and then onto Bangkok and back for basically the same price. You start to learn little kind of insights or patterns into it. But at the end of the day, most of it is just the legwork just being there to search because the funny thing about flights, it's unlike anything else we buy. You know, when you go, we, we're often taught to think of flights like we're buying a gallon of milk. When you go down to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk, it makes a lot of intuitive sense when, you know, how much you pay is directly correlated to how big it is. You know, you're going to pay more for a gallon and less for a half gallon. And, uh, uh, you know, like you can expect that as it kind of nears the expiration date, maybe it goes down in price. They're, they're kind of pricing it to, to sell. It's, it's both. And, and the price that you would pay for that milk is going to be about the same yesterday as it is today and about the same tomorrow. Like it tends to be pretty consistent. We think of flights like that. We're sort of taught to think, oh, there's a price for what it costs to fly from Philadelphia to Casablanca or from LA down to uh, uh, Santiago. But in reality, airfare is none of that. Airfare is incredibly volatile. You know, the example I like to use is that we remember a flight recently that was from Atlanta to Amsterdam. Uh, I kid you not, this is a, a real world example. On, on Monday, uh, the flight from Atlanta to Amsterdam was 800 bucks round trip. On Tuesday, it was 300 bucks round trip. And on Wednesday, it was $1,300 round trip. This was the exact same flight. This wasn't a different flight. There wasn't anything better about it. It's the exact same seat. And so if you had just happened to look at it on Wednesday and see it's $1,300, like, oh man, flying to Amsterdam, what a, what a head crack. Like I'd never buy that flight. Not realizing if you had just happened to be searching the day before, you would have paid $300 for it. You would have been $1,000 cheaper. So not only is airfare incredibly volatile, but it also doesn't make intuitive sense. It's, you know, we think of it, oh, the further you fly, the more expensive it's going to be. You fly really close and it's going to be cheap. Um, I challenge folks on that to go ahead and look what it costs to fly, for instance, from like, uh, it might be a little bit different right now because coronavirus fares, but like it typically is quite a bit more expensive to fly, say from New York to Pittsburgh than it is to fly from New York down to Miami. And it's basically always more expensive to fly from basically anywhere in the US down to Jamaica than it is to fly from anywhere in the US over to China. And the reason why is that the price of your flight 
is very, has very little correlation to how far you're actually flying. And when you start to remind people that a nonstop flight tends to be more expensive than a connecting flight, even though you're flying further on the connecting flight, it, you know, it, it, they kind of remember, oh yeah, that's right. You know, there are other factors in play that are driving the price of fares. So because um, airfare is so, it's such a unique kind of monster, but at the same time, it's something that every traveler needs if you want to go most places. Like unless it's somewhere you're going to road trip to, you know, if you want to fly to the other coast, if you want to go over to Europe, if you want to go to Asia, there's no transoceanic railroad that's going to take you there. And let's be honest, very few people are getting on, you know, boats across the Atlantic or across the Pacific. You basically have to take a flight there. So the fact that it's something that travelers need, yet we have no idea how it's behaving, why it's doing what it does. You know, is it going to be up tomorrow? Should I book now? Should I wait a week? Will the price go up? Will they go down? It's such a confounding thing that, that people process that it leads to a, a bunch of, you know, so much anxiety. And so the fact is that when people are will are like, they're glad to be able to outsource that awful aspect of travel planning and be able to take advantage of the more fun aspects of travel planning, thinking of the cool restaurants you're going to eat at in Paris or the awesome little bistro, you know, in Rome or all these types of things that are the fun parts of travel and not the just sort of like logistics of getting there. So the fact that you have flights that are going constantly roller coastering up and down People are like, man, I don't want to have to be searching all day, every day in the, in the fears that I'm going to miss out on a deal. Like we're sitting here on this call. There might be some amazing deals popping up right now. There probably are. And it would suck to just feel like that constant anxiety that shit, if I'm not searching right now, I'm going to miss out on something. And so that's why you know, we have a, a, a team of folks that used to be just me. And now we've got a, a team of, of flight experts at Scotty Flights who are searching all day, every day to make sure that they're not falling through the crack and to make sure that folks can go about their day knowing that as soon as a great deal pops up in their home airport, they're going to find out about it. They're not having to, you know, spend all day flight searching. We're kind of a weird breed that we, that's how we get our kicks. We really love spending our time flight searching for most people that it's a horrible way to spend their day. They'd rather be doing basically anything else than, than flight searching. So that's kind of the secret sauce. Honestly, it's just a ton, a ton of legwork. Uh, but like I said, it's what we love to do. Well, that's great. And, uh, and we're going to open it up for Q&A in a few minutes. So if you, anyone has a question, uh, drop it in on the bottom. You'll see on Zoom a section called Q&A. Uh, Andy will moderate some some questions but i have just a few more i want to kind of run through rapid fire um you, you know you talked about how you guys are a little bit of a weird breed of people just obsessed with searching for flights you you know as a company you have a unique and valuable position in travel you're early in the traveler's journey and you have something that pe you know you're someone that people actually want to hear from uh you know we've talked for a number of reasons of the, the engagement on your on your emails uh, do you plan to offer more verticals within travel like hotels or experiences you know i'm not sure um i'll be honest like i it's not something that we have a, a kind of in the what's called the product roadmap right now but we're constantly wanting to hear from members to be uh useful and helpful for folks you know the whole reason like scotty flight started not because i i had like a great business idea one day i'm actually 
not a very good businessman. I just, I'm just a goofball who loves searching for flights. And when I found him, I didn't want to keep him myself. I wanted to like share him with my friends. And so Scotty Flights started that way of just all my friends kept up coming up to me. Hey, Scott, I heard about those great deals you got. You know, can you let me know next time you find a deal like that? And so I say that not to, not to like pat myself on the back, but to say like that is kind of built into our DNA of just wanting to be as, as, as helpful and useful for members as possible. And, and, and um, so we're constantly trying to like listen, hear from folks what they, what they would find useful, whether that's, you know, uh, oh yeah, you know, it'd be awesome to have uh, 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 hotel deals alongside. Oh, it'd be awesome to be able to say like which destinations I want to go to. We're listening. We don't have anything like super secret in, in the works, but we're constantly uh, looking for feedback. That's great. And so one of the things I love about, you know, my job is I'm, you know, every day just constantly being bombarded with like the most amazing things to do in the world and all these great experiences that people are having. Uh, but you have something that's uh, perhaps even more tempting is you have a constant look at all the best flight deals anywhere in the world coming out of your city. Um, so how often do you, uh, do you book one of your deals and how often are you flying somewhere? Oh man, quite a bit. Um, obviously we all got grounded, not, not, uh, uh, because of coronavirus and not traveling right now. But before this, uh, I was, man, I was, I was taking as many as I could. I mean, if it had, I felt like kind of like a, like had a weird addiction when I tell my flight or tell my wife, like, gosh, if I haven't been on a flight for two weeks, I start to like feel a little itchy, like, Oh, something, something's off. I feel, feel so like grounded right now. Um, yeah, pretty regularly. Um, the thing that did change my life was I, uh, a year and a half ago, I had a baby daughter and, and she's wonderful. She's a light of my life. That changes things a little bit. We still traveled with her quite a bit, um, but you have to learn a whole new kind of uh, uh, way of traveling. And, and it's fun, like figuring out all the sort of like little tips and hacks and tricks and stuff in in, in, in parent traveling, but it's, I, you know, I've gotten to kind of like relearn new stuff all over again since then. Well, congratulations. And Thank yeah, you. we'll have to have a whole nother conversation about that. I have, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, our, the, my one-year-old, I think in, in his first year of life went to about 10 different countries, oh, man. <laughs> uh, but then adding a second changes that dynamic uh, even, even more. So we'll have to, um, yeah, I've got, I've got a lot to learn. I'd love to just pick and, your brain on it. And I love, I love, you can tell your passion when the, the words you almost slipped up where you almost said flight instead of wife. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay. Just two more quick ones. Um, you know, you talked about a lot, you know, a lot about how offloading some of the stress and anxiety of, you know, getting the flight so that you can focus on the fun stuff with travel. Um, so let's say you, you know, you yourself, Scott book, you know, book a great deal and you're traveling to a new country in a couple of weeks. What's, what is your travel style and how do you plan for that upcoming trip? You know, it's funny. I used to be a really kind of like hyper scheduled planner. You know, I had basically down to the hour every single day was, was, was planned out. Um, and um, when my, you know, then girlfriend, now wife and I were dating, we would take a trip together. I remember her getting really frustrated with me one trip when she's saying like, Scott, can we just like go with the flow one day? Can we just kind of like let things, we'll figure it out, like actually kind of just relax and enjoy ourselves on vacation? Like, no, we got to see everywhere. We got to do everything. And it, it kind of, like I was, your kind of first reaction is to be a little defensive, but your second reaction would be like, oh, wow, maybe she actually has a 
point, and it started to, it, it got a wheel turning in my head where I started to realize like I had been approaching travel with the mindset that I can, I'm only ever going to be in one place once. And so I better make the most of it. I better see every goddamn thing there because I'm never going to be here again. Since starting to realize that cheap flights are not a, a sort of dream, but they're a choice and they're a reality that you can make happen, I started to realize, wow, there are tons of places that I can constantly go back to if I want to. And I started to be much more relaxed in my travels where we usually now, nowadays will, uh, now that I've started to realize like, yeah, we can take cheap flights. It's not, not everywhere is once in a lifetime. Like we can go there tell once every year. We can go however often we want. Um, once I started to internalize that mentality, now the way that we plan travel is typically we'll maybe have like one thing a day we're maybe looking forward to, you know, we'll have a couple like big things throughout the trip, but then we want to leave a lot of time just for serendipity. I mean, so much of the cool things that we remember is not necessarily like the Broadway show that I plan on doing, but some little random street performance that we just happened upon and trying to, it, it's a hard thing. Serendipity is a hard thing to force, but you kind of got to leave space for it. Sometimes you got to, you know, w- one of the things that I, we do do for ourselves and that I highly recommend for most people, try to walk as much as possible between places for two reasons. One is because then you do have that much more serendipity, you know, getting between where you are and where you're going. Maybe there are a couple miles between there, but you're going to see so much cool stuff in between that doesn't necessarily make the guidebook that doesn't necessarily, you know, in the, in anybody's top tens, but that's really kind of powerful and meaningful for you. And then two, by walking everywhere, you end up giving yourself an excuse to eat as much good stuff as you want, which is really important to me when I travel. I'm a total, uh, I just shovel it all in when, I, when I'm on the road. But, you know, I, I feel like I can justify it because I'm, I'm, I'm getting as much exercise as I can. I, I love that. Yeah, one of my, uh, one of the number one pieces of advice I give when you travel is just walk until something interesting happens because it almost yeah. certainly will. Um, so last question before we turn it over to Q&A. So during this period of, quarantine uh, what you know someone like you who loves to travel and loves to fly as often as possible what are you doing to satisfy your love of travel and how do you, you know, travel from home mm. so i think the thing that has kind of given me personally some semblance of normal is being able to use my really weird particular skill set and knowledge of like airline rules and the minutia around um uh, uh you know the legalese of when you're owed a refund or when you're owed a voucher and this and that stuff that normal people shouldn't know or shouldn't have to know in their, in their normal day-to-day life. But now is really important as, as you know, people's flights get canceled, as their trips change and this and that. And so it's been a uh, almost a campaign of mine on, on, on our Twitter account to try to educate folks on their rights. When you buy a ticket, and an airline cancels your flight, you have the right to a refund. You're eligible for refund. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's, it's the law. Having that opportunity and that platform to be able to help people and be able, and then, you know, seeing those success stories, like the success story for me three months ago was anytime somebody booked a cheap flight. I just love, you know, living vicariously through that. And now when, when travel is on pause and we're traveling from home, the success story in my mind is when somebody gets what they're legally owed, you know, when they were owed a, a refund, they on had been stonewalling and I can help them be able to, to get it. That's a win in my book. And I always feel really kind of grateful to hear those stories. So a, a, probably a little bit of different answer, but for me, 
being able to use that knowledge and skill set to help others navigate this really weird, particular, unique world has, uh, of, of flights and, and, and tickets has been really uh, enjoyable. Putting those powers uh, to great use. That's amazing. So I'm going to turn it over to, to Andy to lead some Q&A. But first, Scott, I just want to acknowledge and thank you for the product you've built. I've heard so many stories from within our community about how many people have saved tons of money because of your newsletter and often have been able to go on trips they would have otherwise never had the chance to go on. And we all know how those types of experiences can be life-changing. So thank you for the impact you have had on so many people. And thank you for bringing a little wanderlust into our inbox each day. I'm honored. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. I appreciate it. Andy, take it away. Oh, you're muted, Andy. And Scott, are you okay if we go a little bit? Uh, yeah, little yeah, bit I got long? time. Great. I, uh, I, I know how Zoom works. Um, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I started talking when it was, when it was muted. <laughs> so I think you're in a rare position where so many people know you by first name because you're invited into their inbox as many times as you want to send them an email. Um, I think you're probably the only person that gets a, you know, please don't send me so many email pass. Um, <laughs> So, and I will say, I think we probably got more questions for you than anybody else. I think people are excited to meet the, the Scott behind the, behind the message. Um, so let's get a couple, a couple rapid fires out here. Um, let's do it. So first one is from uh, Stuart Weber, who I will say has been a big heavy hitter in the travel from home community recently. Um, Stuart's from Jacksonville. And his question is like, when you live around a smaller airport, like how do you find deals? Like, you know, there's a lot in Atlanta, there's a lot of major hubs. For the small market people, What's, uh, what's the advice? Yeah, a couple pieces of advice. Great question, Stuart. Very fond of Jacksonville. Uh, the first thing is that I would differentiate between quantity and quality. It's true that big cities, you know, New York, LA, get the most deals. But I actually would argue that some of the smaller markets, places like Jacksonville, places like my home airport growing up of Dayton, Ohio, get some of the best deals. And here's why. A normal, let's say you want to go to, I don't know, Munich. A normal flight, you know, like if you just kind of take the average of all the flights across the counter, normal price flight from New York to, to Munich might be about 700 bucks. And a normal flight price from Jacksonville to Munich might be like $1,400. Every once in a while, prices will drop down to 400 bucks across the country. All, you know, like, like not only in New York, not only in Chicago and LA, but in Jacksonville and Dayton, in El Paso, you name it. And when it drops down to 400 bucks, the folks in New York are saving $300 off their normal price, but the folks in Jacksonville are saving $1,000 off their normal price. If you were in New York, the only way to save $1,000 off of a normal flight to Munich would be to get a free ticket and the airline to give you $300 in cash alongside that because it's a normal price of $700 you're never going to see the level of drop that you do in uh, uh, some of the smaller markets. And so while I completely feel your pain, you know, growing up in a small market, you don't have the same quantity. When those cheap flights do pop up out of small airports like Jacksonville, jumping on them and taking advantage is especially key because they are so far drop off the normal price. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is keeping an eye on nearby hop airports. So places like Charlotte, places like Atlanta, even places like Miami, where it may, might cost $1,400 to fly 
from Jacksonville, but a flight from, let's say, Atlanta, let's, let's, okay, let's even say that Amsterdam flight, Atlanta to Amsterdam, $300. At the time, the flight from Jacksonville to Amsterdam was probably $1,200. You can get a flight from Jacksonville to Atlanta for like a hundred bucks round trip, or even drive it if you want. You probably see where I'm going here. You spend that hundred dollars, fly up to Atlanta, and then you fly on to Amsterdam for 300 bucks. You spent $400 to get from Jacksonville to Amsterdam rather than the $1,200 that it would have cost you to book that as one itinerary. So thinking creatively about separating out uh, uh, kind of your itineraries in some instances can lead to some pretty big savings. So those are two of the main ones. But in general, you might have to be a bit more patient. At the same time, I think folks in New York are honestly probably too, uh, too much awash in cheap flights. Like nobody can take the, get all of the cheap flights from New York. I mean, there's like five, six, eight, ten 10 a day. And for most of us, we're taking one, maybe two international trips a year. So being patient, but, you know, striking when the iron's hot, getting when that good deal from Jacksonville pops means you'll not only get a better deal than folks in New York would, but you're still going to be able to take the same number of vacations. I hope that made sense. It's a great question. So, you know, we talked a little bit early on about, you know, how to get refunds from airlines. And we talked about going the credit card dispute route. But I think one of the things that's going to have to be reckoned with through all this is airline bankruptcies. Um, even saw the news today about Virgin Australia uh, voluntarily going sort of into like a bankruptcy administrator uh, position mm -hmm. in, in uh, Australia. Uh, are there any airlines on your radar right now that you would not recommend booking with um, just because of potentially weird financial shape? Yeah. So from a high level, the one thing I would recommend differentiating between and, and kind of in common parlance will um, make an equivalency between bankruptcy and going out of business and uh, two very, very different things, especially in the airline industry. Um, bankruptcy is more when an airline can't pay its bills. And so it works through a bankruptcy court with creditors to try to say, okay, we owed you, you know, a hundred bucks, but we can't pay it all. How about we come to terms and say, we'll pay you $70 or something like that. You know, a judge moderates it and then they work on coming out of bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is obviously not the sign of a, a, a healthy, profitable business, but it's not a super rare thing either. I mean, all the major US airlines have been through bankruptcy before. Delta, United, American, they've all been through bankruptcy. They all kept flying through it. It wasn't as though people got their tickets canceled. And one of the main reasons is when an airline goes into bankruptcy, they basically take, go to great pains to assure travelers we're still flying, we're honoring all your tickets, we're honoring all your miles because they know that these folks who are going to be flying on them are going to be the key for them to be getting out of bankruptcy eventually, you know, to be bringing in that, that, that revenue and that cash. Um, obviously, very different thing from kind of those big high profile flame outs we see with some airlines that actually go out of business like Wow Air or Air Berlin, Primera Air. Um, there is one airline that is on the cusp of both bankruptcy and possibly liquidation right now, and that's South African Airways. I probably wouldn't book a flight on them right now. Uh, in general, though, I, I, don't, I don't think terribly much in my own mind when I'm booking a flight of a worrying, will this airline still be around? Because even if the airline were to get liquidated or go out of business, one of the protections you have, again, is with your credit card, where uh, for a lot of folks who had tickets on Wow Air when they went out of business, they 
uh, uh, smartly called up their, their bank, they called up their credit card, they went online and they disputed the ticket charge because they paid for a three, four, $500 flight that they could no longer take. And so they were owed the money back. And you know, I hadn't heard really any stories of folks who lost their shirt in the process, they get made whole. And so because you have these protections from your credit card, I wouldn't worry a ton. I, like, I wouldn't let that necessarily hold me back from, from booking a flight that I might otherwise book, unless I feel like an airline is really right on the cusp of going out of business like South African Airways might be right now. I will, I will always remember in college driving from uh, my parents' house near Baltimore to Washington Dulles Airport to pick up my roommate who was <clears throat> flying from New York. I got halfway to the airport and he called me and said that the uh, airline had shut down. And I said, wow, that happened very, very abruptly. It's I've only been in the car for 30 minutes. Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember what airline? Was that like Mexicana or something? Air, Independence Air flying from- Oh man, my cousin used to fly for Independence Air. They were based out of DC. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. uh, work past tense. Yeah, exactly. RIP. Uh, two, two more questions for you. Um, so one is, and I think this is a really interesting one. Like most people, when they think about their interactions with the airline, you go straight into like offensive, like they're this big machine and you need to go try to like, you know, level up to them to go advocate for yourself. Um, and so people usually go pretty quick, to like the nasty gram or, you know, to go all out on them with Twitter. Is it, better to go the mean route or the nice route? Like given that your point you said where there is some discretion in the rules, how do you win that agent on the other one? Yeah, I am a pretty big advocate of honey attracts more flies than vinegar. And the reason why is twofold. One, because I'd like to, I think of myself as an optimist, I'd like to promote a, a world where we're all kind of nicer and more decent to one another. But two, think about right now, put yourself in the shoes of an airline agent. They are being told by their boss, you try to do as much as you can to not give cash refunds because we are hurting for cash right now. Like we need to try to get as many people to accept vouchers as we can, but they're getting, you know, phone calls all day, every day, hundreds, thousands of phone calls from folks who are irate, who are just yelling at them, screaming at them all day about their flight being canceled. They want a refund. They're, don't get me wrong. They're correct that when their flight was canceled, they're owed a cash refund. But if you're that agent, who are you going to be more sympathetic towards the, you know, 1000th person who's yelled at you like the other 999 or somebody who is, you know, empathizing with you, who's treating you decently, who's common, like, look, you know, explain, I think there's a difference between yelling at someone and still being like politely kind of insisting, pleading your, your, your case, but in a way that can be very uh, 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 sympathetic. And I would recommend really going that route because I think you're going to, like I said, airline agents have a lot of discretion about who they kind of process these for. And I think especially now, while, while there's so many people uh, uh, you know, at their wits end, being nice and smart and, 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 and decent to folks is going to get you the preferred outcome more often than trying to kind of bludgeon them into it. So last question, everybody came here you know, to listen to you talk about you know, cheap flights and how to get refunds. Uh, but we've all unexpectedly been on an art tour looking over your right shoulder. Um, ah. So uh, tell us about that painting. Yeah, my wife's an artist. Uh, yeah, AnyaKaiz.com. That's A-N-Y-A-K-E-Y-E-S.com. Yeah, she's uh, uh, been a, a painter here in Portland and has her own studio. And uh, I, yeah, I was, I was looking for kind of 
uh, some of her favorite ones. I don't know why. This one really just kind of speaks to me. Like, you know, you ever been like reading a book, you're studying and just like, oh, I can't anymore. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me. I just, I just enjoyed it. So yeah, thank you for noticing. Well, this was, uh, it was not me. This is like the fifth most upvoted question. And there were a few groups. <laughs> so actually we'll, uh, in the, uh, in the email that we send out with the recording to everybody, we'll, uh, we'll include the link there as well. Awesome. Uh, She's going to be so thrilled. Yeah, no, hey, listen, it's uh, it's good promo. Literally, people said, yes, flights are very cool, but what is that thing? Yeah, really. Uh, Scott, I mean, just to, to thank you, I guess, a little bit more, you know, elaborately, like a lot of what our mission right now with, with Travel From Home is, is to try to keep the joy of travel alive, like to keep everybody entertained and having fun and inspired and connected. And, you know, while we're all kind of reasonably trapped within our walls, like, being able to listen to you talk for an hour for all of us is a bit of an escape. Um, hmm. And that, that's what everybody needs right now for kind of our, our sanity is a little bit of an inspiration and the belief that uh, there'll be a cheap flight to chase again. Uh, we hope really, really soon. Um, so thank you for your time. It's, it's super valuable. You know, I love hearing from you. Like I said, I've been a long time Scott Keys fan, first time Scott Keys Q and a curator. Uh, but it's uh, it's, it's absolutely a pleasure. And, and thank you for that. Well, listen, thank you so much. I mean, uh, not only for, for, for the work that you guys are doing, but to give me a chance to talk about cheap flights for an hour. Gosh, I would go on for six if I, if I had the chance, because this is honestly one of my favorite things to, to, to talk about. And also, you know, just as a reminder for myself that uh, while we're all stuck inside and, 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 and responsibly doing our part to, to, to fight the pandemic, it's, it's nice to remember that there is going to be life after the pandemic and we are going to be able to all get out there and travel again and, and to be thinking about the types of trips we want to take and to, to, to think about the, uh, 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 the cheap flights that we're going to be able to get by, you know, prioritizing them. It makes it all the more kind of worthwhile, all that anticipation and build up and excitement uh, uh, is going to make it all the sweeter once we're able to finally set foot back on a plane. Absolutely. Scott, thank you. Um, for everybody else that, that's watching and listening, uh, two things for you before we part ways. Um, so one, everything we do with Travel From Home is, is about the community. Um, all these events are produced by people that you know, are really trying to spread the Travel From Home joy to everybody. Um, what we do next totally depends on what you want us to do next. Um, so one of the things that I just dropped into the chat right there um, was a really quick survey. It takes around 90 seconds um, and it helps our team figure out who else you want to hear from? What else we can try to learn? Um, so I really, really appreciate you doing that. Uh, second thing that I'm going to drop in the chat right now, and you should have got something in your inbox from me around an hour ago. Uh, Conrad and I, as we like to do, are going to host a little, uh, little post, you know, uh, happy hour. My wife actually brought me a delivery margarita, which I will say is an incredible, amazing change of the times we're in. Uh, I just dropped the, uh, dropped the link in chat, and it's also in your inbox. Uh, but if you want to hang out, talk more about cheap flights, travel, anything on your mind, uh, we'll be here to hang out. Scott, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank um, you. One more plug that I will say is uh, the $49 I spend every year on, on Scott's cheap flights is the best $49 I spend in travel because it reduces the $49 that I spend in great multiples everywhere else. Uh, so if you're not on there, uh, do that right now. Um, and Scott, hope to see you again. Thank you guys. And thanks everybody for being here. I really enjoyed getting to chat about this and awesome questions. Appreciate you all. Take care. Thanks everybody. Hope to see you in the after party. Grab that link right now before I close out the chat and we'll see you over there in a minute. <laughs>